0: I never spend a day or regret comparing myself to someone else. I never do that. I never compare myself in the way, for example, or I'm prettier than her or I'm doing better than her at work or to other social entrepreneur or to like another supermodel or to another mother. I don't compare myself. I compare myself within myself. So this is how I think and this is how I see. And like... Even in the whole one week, like I don't ever put a day for me to break. And if I were to have a day without any purpose or without anything, I can't comprehend. So I'm that kind of person. So in a way, people would seem that I'm very hard to myself, which is true. But that is actually my inner strength, I think.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker, and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. And please do subscribe to Lifeline on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or any platform that you are using. And also you can share this episode with your friends if you like it. It's really what helps me the most. In today's episode, you will meet Alinari, a super, super inspiring social entrepreneur and youth leader from the tribal community of Mizoram in India. She founded Rochun Paid Forward, which aims to empower youth from grassroots India through education to realize their full potential. To date, she has built 11 libraries, mentored hundreds of young people, implemented digital literacy programs, and brought many international opportunities to her home states. She shares with us her childhood, during which she questioned everything, how she excelled at school and got a life-changing scholarship to study in Bangladesh, and why she eventually took the path of social entrepreneurship. It was such a great pleasure to discuss with Alinari. Her journey is really, really amazing and humbling. So have a great episode, and see you in one hour and 45 minutes. Hello Alinari super nice to see you and to have you on lifeline today so i always start by reminding a bit how i know all the guests i'm inviting so for you it's very it's very special actually because we've never met in person uh, and we've only met through panel discussions (laughs) (laughs) because i was moderating two panels one for apye and one for the Asia-Pacific Social Innovation Summit by Impact Hub Taipei. And yeah, you were one of the uh, panelists. And I think one thing I want to say now that I remember is while you were speaking, so many people went crazy on the chat and they were like, oh, Alunari is so inspiring. Oh my God. Um, And yeah, I I even remember some of my colleagues, they sent me messages after the panel and they were like, wow. (laughs) who is she she's so cool (laughs) Um, so yeah no no I'm genuinely happy Uh, super impressed also by all the work that you do and yeah no hopefully we can uh, I mean go through everything in your journey in your life uh, so far And yeah, maybe we can just start. I would invite you to introduce yourself, where you come from, where you're calling from, what you do, do you do these days?
0: Yeah, thank you so much for this time. And um, as I told you before, I think the more you will learn about me, the more you realize how ordinary and quite normal I am. And and, yeah, I think... um, Sometimes when you are passionate about something or something that is very true to your heart or true to you, to your ancestor and to your root, um, when you are bringing that uh, kind of voice or informations or uh, stories, um, it connects to the right people or who you know who kind of can mirror the same thing what they go through in life. So, and speaking from heart and speaking straight of what you feel sometimes can lend it um, uh, quite heavily to the one who listens. So I think I am quite fortunate in a way for being able to speak freely and I just speak from my heart in most of the time. So could that, could that be the reason? But uh, in general, I'm very normal, um, very, very ordinary, actually below average people. Um, yeah, so I come from um, India. Uh, A state called Mizoram, which is in the northeast of India. So if you look at the big Indian map, you would see there's the eight different northeast states um, very close to uh, Bangladesh, upper um, in the northeast of India. So my state is in the boundary between uh, Myanmar and Bangladesh. And, uh, we are a tribe. So this kind of always reflect back when people ask, I'm from India because they look at me and I don't look nothing like Indian. They're like, is your parents or your grandparents migrate from China? Are you from Japanese, from Korea? Where are you from? And I always have to go back to the history. So just with a very short um, history. So my, uh, we are from a tribe called Lai and also whether we are known, either Mizo, um, yeah. we get, we got named from... Um, different place. So, from Myanmar side, we would be Chin. In Indian side, Mizo, and then um, a bit of Bangladesh, um, the Chittagong hill, uh, hill Tracks. So, um, yeah, and we have had our own land before the war, but then later um, we are put part of India. Uh, so, it uh, dating back during colonisation. So, so fast forward, I did uh environmental science studies in Asian university for women um, and after that I went back to india when i was it was in two thousand and twelve where to do my uh, environmental science uh, impact studies and um, in Kaladan multimodal transit transport project which is quite big right now as well and then th- that uh that research somehow ask made me because I was a science student quite core into science, environmental, and but the problem that I ended up um, finding at that time made me wanted to learn More about development, the impact in the local community, Um, and uh, then when I come back, I did development studies, and then I also did uh, an MBA. So now I ended up um, being a social entrepreneur as well as uh, working in a tech company in Oxford. So, I um, yeah. So in short quite long introductory so currently i'm based in the united states in oxford and um, a lot of my projects um, i called social rotund which operate from the uk but for Mizoram and uh, the greater part of the states in india
1: cool so you said um, that you are based in united states but you meant uk right United oh. Kingdom,
0: yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> oh, well, because there is also an Oxford city I think in the US I started to get I started to be so confused. Um, cool. And um yeah so we'll uh you will we'll come back to everything that you just said. So Nori we we have time, so we'll we'll just you know uh, pull the thread. Um but yeah could you introduce first maybe what is Rochun? Um what are the activities of Rotun?
0: Uh, so, Rotun is essentially um, loosely translates um, the legacy. So, Rotun is um, what you get inheritance from either your parents or you could say from your country. Uh, it's it's a it's like a legacy that you passed forward. So, um, I named the organization Roten mainly because of what I felt I got from my grandparents and my ancestor, and what I can pass it forward to the current uh, young people. I myself also is uh, still category category under young people and um, haven't. T- get into my 30 years so yeah uh, what we basically do it has two components Um, uh, one is to build a library so we build libraries to rural communities and urban poor. Um, a lot of them are run by either a church, a missionary or community led schools who doesn't have a, a laptop or who doesn't have a library at all. And the second component is so we called um, consultation, a one on one consultation. So I am a rising star, a mentee since we in Wedu organization since two thousand fourteen. And I'm still a rising star, but right now I am as well a mentor for that organization but taking that kind of concept i applied it to the organization so i have mentored um, every weekend um, sometimes from 10 to 20 people over the weekend so right now we have had at least about a few hundred. i didn't keep count on their numbers but uh, people can come and ask me for consultation so my weekend will be filled with uh, talking uh, asking them giving them information so we covered something like for example what they're aiming life, uh, student or youth who really struggle to know what they want to do in life, or someone who really know what they want to do in life, but not know how to approach, for example, to get higher studies, um, to study abroad, getting into conference, uh, applying for funding. So the the student that I, um, the youth that um, get my consultations are either very well to do uh, in academic uh, who needs uh, a bit of spark or opportunities or a platform to be given or some who, who sometimes who are on the verge of giving up who are on the verge the very edge of life who really don't know what they are doing and and need the kind of um, how do we say a purpose in life or to figure it out their purpose in life so it quite varies from people to people and so right now we have about 11 libraries that we provide books as well as laptops and and, um, yeah, I've mentored about um, a few hundreds uh your tent. Um, we continue to do so. Um, and, um, and apart from that, so for example, you and me, where we kind of met and know each other, um, is APYE. so Asian Pacific Youth Exchange Program. I went there when I was in 2017, the first performance from, um, uh, delegates from Mizoram. And from then on, it was a very life-changing experience for me. I enjoyed a lot. I learned so much, especially about minimalism you know um, what because our SDGs was um, SDZ number uh, 12 responsible uh, consumptions and productions and uh, I we all pledge our team pledge to become minimalist and um, it really transformed my view in the world and also uh, focusing on inner beauty and uh, I I think that was a very strong point in my life well where, where I can take um uh, a much more focused <coughs> uh, excuse me um approach into uh, thank you uh, doing um focusing more onto my social entrepreneurship route so um i have had an amazing experience and i because of that i really want more youth from my place to do the same so i went back um uh, had the, the deal or um post with the government of my states and then we were able to send batches of students to go to thailand and to south korea so for like three times and uh, so and also right now as we speak we are launching the first ever FUE India in my states and uh, we are currently doing recruitment for facilitator and delegates and um, we create and we, um, we create a program we design the framework and it's very very exciting so that is also what Rotun is currently embarked on and um, hopefully in the future there will be more projects. Um, it's not only limited to library and consultation but um, the scope we take we don't want to go too big but at the same time we wanted to have a niche and, and to do well in the our forecast area.
1: So the libraries and the consultation, is it for the same youth group? So it's two different groups or like do you consult the same youth who make use of the libraries or is it another another youth groups
0: um so it's kind of when we i I think when we talk about youth we kind of focus mostly on um, um, age group under 30 and uh, Mm -hmm. the library and the consultation as i said quite varies so the library and Some of our recipient schools are kindergarten and primary school, high school, college and university. And the one who benefit mostly from the consultations, however, are the one who are in um, somewhere 16, uh, starting to uh, get finishing their high school and then asking for information, whether to take science, arts course or things like that and um, a bit advanced group who already finished their undergrads who wants to do a master abroad or someone already have done the master's and want to do a PhD or um, someone who already had either bachelor or master but not yet found their purpose, not yet know what research, not yet know what project they want to do or someone who kind of have a depression in that, that stage. So we tackle different groups, but the, it doesn't necessarily focus on that particular criteria or that I kind of, we kind of like oversee um, youth under that. Sometimes I think they are over 30, but um, yeah, who still are, we would still um, categorize youth. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah, no, actually it makes sense because you mentioned the consultation was really to it's, you know f- helping youth to find their purpose, to refine their career, and it's also like personal leadership. So it makes sense that they are at the age where they have to think about it. But also see, there is a continuation, you know, from kindergarten to when you could follow a youth from when the youth is born until until thirty. So actually, we, which is great. Um, now I wanted to come back. So I, your first library was built in your village actually where you grew up um, and yeah I, I don't know I, I, I would love to for you to share a bit how I don't know your village like how 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 did you grow up how was it um, because I know I mean I know I mean your roadshow is the story is your own story as well um, so yeah I really want to understand a bit uh, your childhood how you grew up
0: um, yeah so my hometown is located in the, uh, the south side, in the, in the very border area between Myanmar and India. So um, so the northeast itself, we are quite um, landlocked, quite far from the mainland um, that also reflect into infrastructure, economy, well-being of the people and standard of living. So me growing up, in uh, quite a rural as well as far from uh, development, far from proper roads, far from um, uh, proper school or standard of living, a normal standard of living, which um, was the result of a never ending war that we have had. Um, so the colonizations that divide once which was a, bit, a very big land of we were nation in the making so my tribe 200 years ago we were still um, you know headhunter um we don't have religion however there was a civilization a big a growing civilizations however during under colonizations because our grandparents our ancestors were very stubborn and they do not want to, to give up um, their position nor Shift and shift to the um, the bigger influence of the British. So the British actually never had an interest in us, but they started having their interest when they started cultivating tea in Assam, which is a very close state so with our border. And then uh, we ended up kidnapping um, their daughter of the Assam the cultivation uh, owner um, because they were taking too much land of our um, um, uh, you know hunting ground. And when they came to rescue Mary Winchester after a year they realized that oh these people quote-unquote are so uncivilized and hence they need to be civilized there was no much resource that they envy on us I think at that time but um, so we are talking about um, 1890s um, but to them they were they see us more of uh, uncivilized quite barbaric um, community that needs to be enlightened and hence they start sending missionaries and then slowly the administrations took over but because we are from the south which is also a part of as i said in the beginning gene states and some of them down into the gong uh, hill tracks area our king we call them king they are just chief um you know they have the small colony they keep expanding um we're so stubborn. So one of them, the the last one, is being my grandfather. Um, my grandfather never give up, never um, uh, give in to the British, and he died also not being Christian. So the history of that, um, and I used to remember my dad telling me that because my grandfather has like five wives, and my father has about twenty siblings, and the British would keep asking my grandfather if they he they can take my my brothers and uh, my father brought and his brothers for education back to kolkata Cal- and my grandfather would be like why would i trust someone you know the mirang is um, in my language the calling um, that we called um, english sab or mirang means um, someone with white white people why would i trust white people to take care of my children never so my father and his brothers most of them didn't study at all so and then when education was introduced my dad only studied up to three and then his father passed away and then um, it was uh, followed with the second world war the british retreat and then we followed our um, independence with india because we've suffered a great human uh, we didn't get any help and then the underground people started to fight for india and then that followed by 30 years so growing up in the aftermath of you know very um when when someone who are from 16 to 30 to 35 spent 20 to 30 years in the forest being underground with guns and fighting for independence instead of being in school or institutions. The country that after the peace accord was signed, even though we become all Christian during the colonizations and become a very peaceful state, the school that run on the aftermath of that was... There was already uh, very deep down destructions in the system. Uh, There was already problematic within the system which wasn't easy to be breakdown. down so for example the school that i was able to attend um our teacher barely finished uh, primary school and they become the teacher again so a high school teacher was just finishing class 12th so even when i studied till high school my teacher or myself we were barely sp- able to speak in english so um Imagine a kind of education, a kind of system and a kind of setup we grow up, which was quite down to the history that we have had. So I don't necessarily or never seen that we were that poor or that we were less advantaged or that we were less developed, um, quote unquote. But then when we started watching television, I realized that the world that we live in was actually quite different than that outer the bigger world uh, from through the tv and you know um, we used to watch um, uh, food, football because we were all crazy with football with football fan and seeing you know big building great road aeroplane cars and us having a typical not a hut house but we, there were still huts as well um, in my hometown so it really intrigued me why there's such a big difference. And, uh, and, and then I keep saying that I had such a beautiful childhood. I don't feel that I was poor nor deprived because we kind of have everything we needed. We just don't know the bar of what um, necessity is or what, you know, in the pyramid of that. So we enjoyed a lot of time in the forest, in the river, running up and down the stream. And um, The school, though, we went to, um, as I said, it's just a public school. Um, when I was in my primary school, we don't have, um, especially me, I never had enough book to read, nor um, like bedtime reading and things were out of the question because I have about five siblings and um there was no new new uniform nor new book so the kind of book that was passed down to me was already torn down you know the cover was already missing and um, so and uh, we don't have cursive writing we just no uniform we wear slippers and even the uniform was like a passed down uh, kind of that but i really enjoy being in school i really enjoy learning and without regardless of the quality of education i got at that time so um, fast forward, as I realized the differences of what I get, but being quite lucky in a way that I learned very quickly and I was quite good at my studies. So I was always number one in the school. And then um, when I did my high school, um, there were also competitions where I kind of get scholarship here and there. And um, I was able to do, ended up um, getting, First to study the um, science, being able to get out of my hometown, and then eventually went into um, a, one of the best university um, to being a board scholar and reflecting back of how I studies and how I grew up, and then the differences of me then from that hometown kind of educations, accessing that kind of educations to accessing a world class of educations I realised that it doesn't take much time for someone to have a transformation when you start providing the same resource and opportunities so the university that I went to was quite unique and special we were were all young women recruited from um, 17, 17 to 20 Asian countries and a lot of us were coming from all different type of backgrounds with all different type of Um, um, uh, culture and things but with a passion to make a difference Um, and they kind of treat us like a you know future leader that's how they always call us so uh, our university was Asian university for women Uh, sherry blair is our chancellor and we have had a lot of faculties from uh, stanford and harvard and even from um, the uk like oxford and cambridge and what I realised at that time was then that if we were given the same resource, a, a, a resource, for example, accessing a resource to one of the best journal um, uh, for academic writing and also reading a book and also accessing to down to our professors, I realised that in no time our way of thinking, our way of uh, seeing things and the way we conduct ourselves um, was no different from someone who come from Harvard or from who from from UCL. So then my thinking was that then how about if I were able to provide that kind of same thing? So th- it's not that you are being born smart or you are being being talented but it's actually it's your environment that kind of shape you a lot and also the grit and the blood and where you are from so of course it's very important that you know your family upbringing how your parents taught you how they encourage you and then what kind of passion you want in life but to cope up with that, a lot of the time you might have a very strong passion and you want to change the world, but if you just don't have access to any of resources, if you're so limited by your environment, it's very difficult to get where you are or what, where you wanted to go. So growing up in that area and in that kind of uh, situations and having that um, kind of true life, I would say, um, for me was that, okay, I'm one of... We're very lucky, very few people to get out of that situation, um, but it's not enough. I, I know because, as I said, I'm not that smart, nor talented, nor special. I'm just an ordinary village woman, village girl who were lucky to pick up and find my ways. But if the same opportunities, the same resources, uh, the same platform was given to people back home, I wonder how many elementary would come out of that situation. So it was such a strong arch for me to be able to connect that, to bring back. So um, I started the first library. And the reason also why, because people keep asking in this day and age when there's so many innovations, there's so many new things talking about library and books. It's like, it's not so fancy nor like, so um, I would say, um but for me it's quite um it's quite important because I realized that that was the key that was the difference that made so um yeah, I started the first library back in two thousand seventeen um after we had we had the project at EPY in 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 Bangkok in Thailand and also in in Japan, so I was in a one month project with JICA, and again at that time I was a group leader for the project that we had and when they so the the reason why we were selected the best team at the time in, in, in JICA was they said Elinari and her team, um, the was very good at defining their problem. So JICA always emphasized on knowing your problem very well. And I applied the same methodology that I kept, I was being um, told many, many times back in my university, like Albert Einstein said, if I were given one hour to solve the world's problem, I'll spend 59. Minutes to defining the problem and one minute to come up with the solution. So I always try to apply this, um, this thing into everything that I do because a lot of the time we have so many solutions, but because we don't realize the the deeper or understand the problem we wanted to solve, sometimes the solution doesn't fit. It's like a lock and key. You need to have your lock. You need to know um, the lock, the problem, where it's going to get so that when you insert your key, it it, it, fit, it fits and it is able to unlock the things that you wanted to do in life. So um, using that philosophy, using that thing, I realized that for me, what is so important is that, I go to different platforms, to the UN to conference the outcry of me being, you know, grow, being a tribal woman, um, being, um, growing up, being angry for a lot of the things. I was angry. I was mad at the history of what my parents had to go to, especially for my community. I was, I keep thinking, what if there was no colonization? What if there was no war? What type of world my grandparents would have inherited me you know the legacy what they would have passed should i be a living queen a living princess nor who would i be you know there were lots of options that and history is so important because of because it shaped what you have you are today and a lot of the time i was a protester i was so mad there were so many things to be mad at and i kind of blamed the history or the, the system but then it also struck me at um at that, uh, at after that uh, incident that I do not think there's anyone that actually loves my tribe or my community than I am and expecting um, just like in the past um, the English or the white people for our enlightenment um, it's not going to happen this time because they are not us so Waiting for the World Bank or waiting for UN to intervene in my community is not, good, not the right solutions because um, I know my community best and, and hence I'm the best person to help the community. And um, knowing the problem that I have gone through, knowing the, the obstacles what stopped me or what would have stopped a lot of other youth like me, was not being able to access resources and opportunity so i started the first library to the, to the high school that i graduated and to also the small, um, so two school, the primary school and the high school um, has the library now. And then it's kind of expanded. When I did the first project, I did also studies. And I realized that even in high school alone, we have about 650 and not even 5% has library. But when you go to like college or even like in the UK here, every school has library. It's a sense part of it. You don't go to the kitchen, not having a, a burner to cook but mm. then in my place it's like quite uh, something to talk about it just it does not even if we have a library the 5% would be like a ghost library there would be one book or one computer it doesn't work so yeah that's how it started
1: about cool uh thank you so much for this it was so fascinating i i, I have like 1 million questions in my head um uh, but let's see if i can pick one okay let's let, let's go back to Mizoram and, and your high school years. So, I further one one sentence I love, which is "you don't know what you don't know." And you know, I was always fascinated by, by you, know, by you in the sense that you managed to understand what was beyond your village, what was beyond your state, and make it a strength. But for me, this—I mean—I I feel like it's so difficult because how are you supposed to know that there is something outside if you don't know, right? It's like a vicious circle, and I felt like—is it only TV that made you realize this, or is it—is it something else, or is it really just watching TV that made you realize there is another world actually out there?
0: Um, I think one thing uh, that from my environmental science and to the ecology and the whole ecosystem was that. We were doing this burning, and uh, so burning. Uh, um, uh, they called it. Uh, um, how do they call it? Um, they they burn. They they cut the trees, and then they barn, And then every year they do that. They repeat the same. Um, so the juming cultivations, we call it. Um, uh, when we were in primary school, every year for 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 for. Um, Cultivations, they would cut down a big plot of land for all the household, mostly who are not government employed, who would be relying on farming, in um, cultivations. They would cut down trees in, in in the early February and then would burn at the eight of March, at the end of March or early April. And every time, what happened was that every time when they do the burning that day our school needs to be shut down because a lot of the boys needs to go home and then protect their house from burning because when you burn the whole the, the whole area forest nearby the village the 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 fireworks sometimes come and then landed onto the on the on the on their roof and if the roof is made of hut then it can burn and we have had incidents where it kind of burned even half the village or a lot of houses and I was just, I think, class three and four, like level three and four, that really, really giving me a heart ache when it, things happen because the whole cloud, the whole sky become very dark, and you know you would see wildfire when it comes out. And then my my at the time was there was this calling of animals and insects and birds and every inhabitants that were in that. I can't comprehend why we had to do that I couldn't understand and it kind of really really prompt me a question that there must be another way you know there must be another way without having to cut down all the trees without having to kill all the animals and all the inhabitants in that particular area and I keep asking questions like why I would go back and say, why do we have to barn and my mom at the time when my dad would say that you need to burn the trees cut down so that the soil become more fertile and you need to grow your vegetables and your food. And, but I'm like, there must be another way you're just burning. And then the smoke come out. It it just really made me really, really made me sad. And I said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor for human or a doctor for animals. If the human are destroying the animals, I'm going to be a doctor for animals. So that kind of also questions, um, asking me, there must be something, there must be alternative. Um, And then, as I I said, so TV was a big influence because we didn't have TV at the time. So when we started having TV, like the whole house would be full of people. So every Sunday, because there's also a lot of cut down. So Sunday would be the day where there would be like power for a few hours. At that time, you give all your attention to whatever was broadcasted into the TV. And then you got it, the pictures, the video that came out was so vivid into your life. Uh, There was no, as I said, no magazine or much of the outside that we can know of. And of course, not knowing English so much, we don't listen to radio that often English. So our main windows to outside world was television. And my curiosity of asking those questions uh, was developed as I grew up and witnessing things around me and then yeah that trigger a bigger problem what happened elsewhere do they do the same do they burn their own forest in the in the in the in the in, the, in the place and countries that I've seen from TV yeah so there are a few things but I think those are the ones that kind of like very strong that I still remember
1: and was it why you were so motivated to because you said you, you were always first in class you loved learning was it because you wanted to learn about what happened elsewhere or did, was it because you wanted to to go out of the village at some point? Uh, why why did you really why did you study so hard?
0: Um I think I just enjoy learning new things and I think I'm very fortunate to have a parents who are my parents of always asking me questions. And um, also finding solution on my own. So my mom raised us as if my mom was a stepmom. So in the house, all the household chores, everything we had to learn. And then I always find to fun, to do things in a simple way or an easy way. And then there's, so there's, there's always like, so that how, how can I can play? I, I, so that if I can finish my chores and then I can play, so that there's always something in my head. And then my dad, on the other hand, was very deep. He was very philosophical and he was very, very wise. And um, always um, when, when I asked a question, he would ask me back, why would that be? You know, why do you think this is the right? This Do you think what can be something? Can this be something or that or that? So and I think the kind of thing that they put it back on the table at the very young age already kind of um, enhanced my critical thinking. And, um, just not accepting or not, just not getting, um, what they tell me or not questioning back. I question back everything. And even in the class, when our teacher teaches us and something that I don't understand, I would question back. And, um, yeah, so I think I was just quite, I, maybe I was born quite curious but at the same time my parents kind of influenced me to to just not accepting as it is but to question so when i kind of get those informations i always think that there must be a better way there must be a reason behind this what is it if it is the situation that can i change it because a lot of the things even though as i said i've really enjoyed my childhood I find a lot of things that are complicated. I find a lot of things that we are deprived of. I find a lot of things that we don't have, but I can see that somebody else has. So I was like, why is the difference? And um, I think, yeah, I thought this is what everybody has have had thought or think about, but maybe I was a bit different.
1: What is a perspective? So, that might sound as a very stupid question, uh, but you know, as a youth from your village, I mean, what is the perspective, life perspective? Are people going out to the of the village to 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 work? Are there, is everyone staying in the village? And how, did you aim to get this scholarship to study in Bangladesh? And how did that happen?
0: Um, I think. Uh, recently yes for studies because we only have up to class 12 um, at that time when we were growing up it was only up to class 10 so if you are lucky if you're good at school and you are able to nice class 10 then if your family has it if you have a relative study being in the town or in the city then there's a chance of you to do to pursue your higher education but a lot of the time there is also um, dropout at primary at high school getting married you know lopping, and so and so on and also family sides a lot of family needs their daughter and their sons to help them in the farm especially if you're the elder one you, you need to help your family to raise your remaining siblings or your family or your household so in my case or in my family um i always wanted to study higher and my dad always always he he keeps saying and he continued to do that and he said i don't have much for you uh, but you have all the freedom i want to study till there's no name um you know and learn music travel around the world explore so my fa- my father or my mom never stay or stay home take care of us and be in this place But um, for them and their aspirations and like many, many parents is that one day their daughter and son will do something, become educated, get out of town, get a job or do something else so that they become a salvation because our mode of living, the standard of living was so low that if you have a children who are good at studies, your parents have all their hope in you that you'd become either a doctor or engineer and that you would take them out from whatever situations they are in. So yes, there was a very strong motivations from the parents as well as within us as the youth to study, to do well in school and so that we get out. And um, But I don't have many much information about scholarship at all, which was also thanks to my dad. He found it in the newspaper. Um, my dad was a very well reader. Whenever he can find, he would read it. And uh, even though like newspaper was an outdated, coming from the city, he, by the time it reached to him, he would read all the columns, the articles. And then he found about the the, the university. I was doing my uh, my uh, class 12 stud- studying science um, in ISOL. And then he called me up, he said, there's a thing called, uh, it's called scholarship, it's it's, it's Harvard-based, it's for women, can you figure it out, can you learn more about it? And then I went up and I asked about it, and so that's where I get to know about the scholarship and um. I didn't think much about studying abroad, but definitely if I did well in my science, I would have to study engineer or doctor and that needs to be outside of my states. Uh, but that was the scope, but not about around the world, even though that was in my childhood, but with the growing up in the reality, it was out of the questions, you know, if you don't have money, how can you kind of, um, to study quite out of your, your, your zone. So, yeah
1: yeah i find it very interesting because i mean the newspaper that your father found it on i mean it sounds very anecdotic right but in the end it, it's what i mean It changed your whole life if i can say that
0: yes yes
1: so yeah it's i know it's funny <laughs> you know?
0: i know yeah this is why everything even though my dad passed away um my charity my organisation my philosophy in life it actually all come from him
1: yeah I mean I can really feel the role that your parents played either you know this opportunity but also the way they you know uh, raised you developed your critical thinking Um, no that's great and so yeah so then you applied and then you got in and then you moved to it's in Chittagong yes And, I mean, I guess Chittagong doesn't look like your village at all. How was the the transition?
0: Well, the funny thing was because back then, even now, when you think about Bangladesh, what information comes to you? So again, this is the danger of a single story. Um, Media plays so much role with every country, labeling uh, things so that once you think of a state or a country or a nation there is usually one picture or two coming and resonating into you so for me um, when I did my science, so in India old parents if you're good at study they want you to become either a doctor or engineer that's it there was no such thing as arts nor you know something in between they want you to become engineer and 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 become either scientist or doctor that's this is what everybody look up to um so I was quite hoping to be able to do engineer um but then when I found this out about the scholarship and the university, which is liberal arts that I've never heard about, and also in uh, in, in in Bangladesh, all we know about Bangladesh at the time was um, cyclone, flood, rickshawala I like, could be interested in going to a place like that that we don't know, and also because I'm Christian, and at the time again being a single store, knowing being in that Muslim to us was uh, quite. Uh, quite a religion that we think that are most into you know nothing good but terrorism and that kind of thing so it was very biased it was very one-sided story that I grew up with and to face it so um, I was very confused not very excited at all and um, I yeah because I was able to secure quite a good school back in India as well to do engineering, because I was um, one of the top ten in the board exam in science. Um, but my father and um, uh, one of my teacher at that time told me that go there, explore. Even though it's in Tidagon, its the university is run uh, based in Harvard. All the headquarters is in Massachusetts. It's the a very young university, and the campus and everything. It's the all curriculum be very different if you don't like it you can come back and you can do your engineering so and because it was a, i was i got the full scholarship i was a bot scholar and there was a lot of money and um, as i said not not having fun or someone to rely on financially for me it was too great a risk to risk. so i went ahead and yeah but if that did not land that if the newspaper did not land it to my dad or if he wasn't curious about to ask me i think i will just end up being quite normal not that i'm not normal now but uh, just you know i would just go to typical university in india and yeah god knows what would happen
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um okay so it's so just to for the timeline you entered university it was which year
0: 2010
1: 2010, and your first library was 2017 yes okay so yeah what, what happened during these seven years
0: um, yeah so this is a big transformation part of my life so being 1991 um, kind of Half of it was um, high school, and then back home being in India. Um, the university that I attended uh, was a five years course, so it's quite big. And uh, to secure your scholarship, which is a full funding for me at that time, was about fifteen thousand US dollar. You need to keep up with your studies and always be on the merit. Um, and um, as I mentioned, it was a big transformation for me, not only on uh, physical uh, and mental, but on also on philosophy, um, spiritual in, in, in a lot of areas. I come up, uh, I grow up and I feel like I sometime now um, look back and kind of see myself as if I was in a cave for a really long time with a lot of like a teaching that kind of like outside of that is a danger world, outside of that is that. But then actually when you cam- came out and, you see a world as it is, equations, even to your own religion and belief. Um, even the Bible, like if I'm Christian, but a lot of the time, the way how things were being taught, how women are being treated, how the world is viewed, how you see religion, how you see other community, how you see other nations. So all of them, even though I went there to do uh, environmental science engineering, there was no such thing as environmental engineering. And I almost gave up to come home. And then when I did my my summer. My dad told me that, you know, that you say that it's a Harvard base, and uh, it's going to be for um, w- woman's future leader. And in that school, they must teach you something that make you become someone. So that even if you're not engineer, maybe uh, you can you can you can have uh, you can become something where the engineer works for you. So it kind of threw in a way, like, for example, right now, I'm a strategy manager, but um, all the engineers, like, you know, tech engineer, and all of these things, they are actually walking with me, not under me, but walking with me. Um, so, and that was like, okay, fine. I thought, because my dad and my mom would be like so stubborn. Oh, if you're not engineer, you, you know, that's it. Or if you're not a doctor, that's it. This is what a lot of parents told their children to like, you cannot pursue something else unless it's x and y but my parents were not like that so they were able to you know open the curiosity and to try even if there's another option so um it was a liberal arts curriculum with the core environmental science and um but every class um there's a religion there's ethics there's politics so liberal arts curriculum is very very huge so you not only learn about your particular major core but you actually learn almost uh, everything and that is also why it takes a long longer year and um when i did my uh, um, um on my second year um there was. Uh, we all have to go back for for to our community and do research. So in my case, and again, in every class, um, there is this leadership course in uh, kind of embedded in the courses. Um, your public speaking, your the way you ask questions, um, the way you understand the world, and so it it was um, kind of embedded in in a way that our curiosity was and hence in a, in, in a massive, massive level. So when I went back to my hometown in 2012 for the summer, I was looking at what type of project to do or what type of research to be done. I was just UG2 second year. And um, at that time, there was a thing called Multimodal Transit Transport Project called shortly stated escaladant project under indian look east policy so essentially what they try to do is they are trying to create one of the biggest seaport in Situay, which is down myanmar very close to where the rohingya problem is situated and that Indian is indian government is going to fund all the money uh, for the the constructions and once the, the the seaport is created so it's going to be one of the big hub and hence we who used to be such a landlocked who doesn't even have a, a an open road to between Myanmar and or India or Myanmar India and Bangladesh would become an east gate of india so there was so much investment i i, I was curious because if it was such going to be good why we never had because we are very landlocked so my state and the whole north east state like for example for me to go to Bangladesh, my hometown in Chittagong is only 300 kilometers, but there's no open road, so I have to go to Kolkata. I have to fly from from Izo to Kolkata, which is about 1,500 kilometers, and then from Kolkata going back to Chittagong. And Chittagong in my hometown is only 300 kilometers. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, and in in the olden times, my grandparents, my father used to go back and forth to Trukong, getting their buying and things, you know, doing trade, their trading. But because now that it's become international and all the borders are closed, and they have been closed for years, but why now? So why why right now? All of a sudden, we be, we're gonna become uh, the east gate of India. So my my understanding and my question was that why. And also what that kind of big measure um, constructions of road it would have done to the people of my community. So I went back and then I was looking at environmental impact, ecological problem. But what I ended up finding was a lot of compensation problem so you know Mizoram is a very hilly area so if you look at these Eurasian um, plates so you know Himalaya that coming down so in the long 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 time billions of years ago the two plate Indian plate and the Eurasian plate collides so when two plates collide if it's ocean and land um, the land one is older so it goes down and creates tsunami and things like that but if it's a land to land because they two are very bogged they, they don't one doesn't go down under the other plate they created a of a mountain that is why Mount Everest is increasing every year so we are in that territorial and hence our um, our I would say the ge- the geology point of view um, our land is not too old and hence every time monsoon uh, there's a lot of sli- um, um, landslide land and uh, when they are creating that big big, big rot and cutting down all the forests, my curiosity is what happened then to the environment, what happened then to the community. And what really, really big thing in happening was that um, aside, environmental impact was huge. But for me, what was more important was that the community that it affected. So on the Myanmar side, it was still under regime. So Aung San Suu Kyi was recently released but it was still under a big heavy regime. So a lot of the people who are working in the construction there was human rights violations, there was sexual abuse. In my state, in my part of the states, um there were a lot of compensation problems. So um you know a big more corrupted happened in a way for um uh, officials and revenue they would be able to create lots of fake land and revenue. So hence they claim a lot of money and the one who actually are losing their house and their farm and their area don't even know how to claim so like in places like in my hometown you would have a widow or you know who doesn't even study um the the way they took the land was that so a normal road would need at least um 45 degree but because we don't have enough of that and house were built just by the the road they would be taken almost 90 degree and some of them would have their pole the house pole already coming out they don't know what to do they don't know how to claim for compensation they don't even know what to do about it and because i can speak myanmar language so the teens died i would and I can go because it's just a river I go illegally back and forth and speak their language so when I go and do the research of them side their side again for me was that the realization was that yes I care about environment a lot but I do care about my other human beings I do care about what is happening and then that was the questions that um, make me wanted to know about what big development does what small development does what is a macro crore billion project does to our community and to the local people because you know the world bank also the un and also indian government it's a big thing so the the thing that they market is like oh there's going to be a lot of job re- job recreations you guys are going to be there is gate but then by doing so, if it actually destroyed the community, if it actually destroyed um, the local people and, and, and us, for example, not knowing what is happening to us, not knowing the impact, then we are actually going to be completely, um, not destroyed, I'd say, but um, it, it it the impact that can be... A- positive and negative is huge so i went back to my district my state my council and i've asked can i do a research and then can you fund it and i said how do we do that what's what would be then say you can say i said you can just call as internship and they're like what is intensive?" Yeah. <laughs> but because i was so convinced i was so determined you no know, big project is coming in our states in our district and we don't even know what their aim so I need to learn I need to study about it call it internship so i've asked for funding i've asked I've asked for a jeep like a, a motor and a video uh videographer so that we can go all the way down to the bond to the the border so I spent a, a month and I went all the way down to all the different villages i interview people um i look at the road they did i look at so and then, um, so that video that we created at that time was also aired in my in local channel quite a few times. So when I bring that uh, studies back, um, I have a professor um, his name is Christian Girard, and um, he is our development studies professor. And we did the summer project presentations, and he was so interested. And then I was, I was like, I was, you know, I was, I was very protester at that time, as I said, I was boiling with questions I was like this is danger this is whatever is going to happen I we need to be on the top of it it could be um, a very bad positive thing but at the same time it could actually destroy our community and our tribe so that is when I started um, to look at uh, development studies I took it as a minor and then the first was to study really about big D what happened you know the creation of IMF, World Bank, the first, second third world creation and all of them and then looking into a small D the top down bottom up approach and I ended up taking a social entrepreneurship route so that was one on a bigger scale uh, to do my my, my, uh, my curiosity on development studies, and also the last semester that I did with garment industry in Bangladesh, looking at um, women menstruations, how they practice. Um, if you are in a, in in a working in a factory uh, manufacturing clothes, and if you earn about fifty dollar a month, and you have about five children to feed, how do you maintain your menstruations? when it comes to that and the uh, physical, the psychological impact, uh, looking at all of that. So I, as I said, our university was so good that it forced us to get out. And we also have a lot of project in the slum. Um, it was, sometimes we spend a week with the, uh, the beggars in the street. We just sit down next to them, sometimes help them to back to, 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 to learn about their their whole stories. Um, why they ended up on the street, what are the reasons, do they have a safety net, what factors force them to back um, on the streets or um, you know whatever sector that they are in. So um, at the end of the day, my experience of being in five years in Bangladesh was one, one of the best things that happened to me being in that university because it really allowed me to see the reality of the world into a very, very deeper le- lens and also being lucky um, enough to get into a kind of university where we were able to access one of the best people, uh, scholars, um, resources, journal, understanding about the big D on on in not in a in one-way story, but in the in in a way that was very, very profound so that you can see the world as it is without being filtered. And I think that the whole transformations and also Being women, um, studying about your own religion, a lot of us, for example, some of my friends who were Muslim were so rebellious to what they did, they ended up shaving their head. Um, In my case, I ended up um, getting a profound... Um, deeper understanding of love, deeper understanding of God, and then I also c- come from a very structured religion, like the, the different de- denominations. I learned that um, in a religion, is not about pleasing God; it's about your relationship that you enter to God, where you, wherever you are. And that, to me, every religion is beautiful as long as you were able to find and connect it. Um, the create the creator, if you believe in so. So, seeing the world as it is instead of becoming a very, Like It was a very black, black, black and white kind of thing that I grew up. But then uh, being in five years in that university, like everything has nuance. So there was no such thing as black and white. And there's always something behind another. And um, yeah, so that five years transformations and then coming out um, of that, I was supposed to get my masters into the U S but unfortunately my father passed away. So I ended up staying a year, um, in back at home. So, and then after that one year after I started getting back because when I lost my dad, it was my whole world was just collapsed. Um, and, um, but, a, so for example, APY was the only, after a year that I started getting out of uh, my comfort zone or getting out of that deep, um, Kind of fall that I had, and um, yeah, so in the long short, that was like the seven years of um, um, yeah life that I have gone through yeah
1: and um, you said one sentence which I found very powerful um, you said you were a protester before. are you still a protester?
0: no I'm, I think i I now wanted to call myself a solutionist
1: okay. And does it mean that you are not a protester at all anymore?
0: Before it would be like 90%. Uh, now I think it goes down to
1: 20%. And you became a solutionist by adopting also, because you said you discovered social entrepreneurship, you chose to become a social entrepreneur. I mean, I guess it's, it's linked, obviously.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: So you discovered social entrepreneurship by discovering more the development sector and all its flaws and all i mean everything about the reality um, Is that how you ended up in a p y uh, in a p y e in the end um
0: yes, partly it was yes um because we did a lot of, um, when we did development studies at the time, it was Millennium Development Goals. So we were looking at a lot of big projects like uh, World Bank, uh, looking at the case studies. I also had three years internship in uh, Export-Import Bank of Korea in Seoul, uh, looking at, so it was a lot of big D, so big development of why big country invests so with aids, what's the difference between aids and grants, what they actually do, um, do they actually You know, the white burden, a lot of the project um, that uh, someone in the West hand did to in um, Asia or in Africa, or um, what's the OECD countries does to developing countries, do they actually help? Do they destroy it more? So, we have had an extensive study and research on that. And at the same time, we also look at um, the small D, like the bottom-up approach and things like that. So my curiosity at that time was that, because also before I used to be quite um, and I think sometimes I am still am, um, that I was very aspired to at one point work in the UN because at the time what how I see UN was, uh, you know, goodwill, a uh, very strong nation that is completely clean and doing effective job. And I want to be like either an ambassador in that or becoming coordinator at some point but then the more i study about it the, 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 and always that all the time connecting with my community to find a most a more effective solutions or a more effective approach for me i don't i realize that i don't necessarily need a UN to intervene in my community because waiting that could take my lifetime the same with waiting for another big organization or like as I said the white the western people to bring enlightenment it could take forever um, so uh, when I um, um, I was a rising star at the time, and when they introduced about APYE with the su- new Sustainable Development Goals, um, because I was already doing Millennium Development Goals, and I want I want to see is it just nomenclature change? Do they just they change the name? Are they going to do something good about it? And uh, finding that it's happening in Asia and in Thailand, I was quite interested. And uh, we got scholarship for from some rising stars, and I applied, and it was a competition, so and I got it, and. And um, I was the first one from my, my states or the entire Northeast. I think there was just one or two at the time from India who were participating. So and I think APYE was at, at the very early stage. I think that was the second time that they do um, or the first time, I don't remember. Um, so I went there in Bangkok. And um, yeah, that's how I I, I, I started uh, participating in APYE.
1: Okay. Um and just for everyone, APYE, so it it means Asia Pacific Youth Exchange and it's this fifteen days program with like young people from all over Asia Pacific and basically they they go through different trainings to understand better problems of local communities in the countries where they are and yeah start working on different solutions to address these problems and uh, yeah so just, so just to explain and then yeah back to you uh, so you said earlier that APY was like this life another life changing moment yeah why, why why was it so life changing because I've seen now you've came back to so many APYEs. you are also as you said with this APY India uh, providing scholarships to many 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 people from Miso I met some of the teams recently this summer so yeah like why why was it so impactful
0: yeah so i think if we look at um like not generalizing every could be very impactful and very meaningful but it could also mean just a conference to a lot of people like a one-time conference that they attend um i think it was very impactful for me at that time because um firstly i was as i said i lost my dad 2015 in november and 2016 was a very difficult time for me because I had to reset my purpose in life. Because before then, it was all about pleasing my parents, especially my dad, making him happy, making her, him proud of who I become. And I was about to embark on another studies in the U.S. And it doesn't happen. To everything kind of fall into play. That like I, I had a great depression um, I couldn't understand why my dad suddenly passed away. It was a very uh, fast cancer, and it doesn't last even more than a month. And in order to finding another purpose in life, when I just lost all I want at the time, I think it also that I want to do so many things, but. Most importantly, was to make my father proud and to, to make my father happy. And when he's gone, and he was my advisor, he was my anchor, he was my everything. And when he's not there, I got lost. And um, FBYE. When I applied, I I was curious and I'm very excited, um, but it came from not knowing what to do and to using and wanting that platform to to find my purpose in life to like learn and unlearn i think basically unlearn because as i said the whole experience i become quite i think an expert in my own understanding of development and how the world runs and um, but when i came to apye it was a very unlearning thing for me because um of how they do the local immersion And particularly in our case, we went to a training, a learning center called Map Young. Uh, it is where they um, they uh, they practice the philosophy of the late king of Thailand, uh, philosophy, economy, sustainability, um, of how um, they see the world, they see the environment, um, and they applied one philosophy called um, uh, feed the soil and let the soil feed the plants. So the whole area used to be a very rural community with no yod um, uh, in Going back to help their family, everybody comes to Bangkok. Um, the land the lawn was dry, uh, but then one of the general um, of the late king—sorry, my dog is just trying to come to the picture—and um, <laughs> and trying to apply the philosophy of the great the late king, whereby he went back. Um, uh, uh, and um, did a very, very amazing thing um uh, where he all the dry land where it's not enough for crops and things to plant. Um they they put um the hay, um uh, put it um uh, put the natural fertilizer uh, allowing to become a habitant area again for microbes and then the small organism, and then in a few years turning that uh, that land to become um, a suitable uh, land for plants, and they were able to convert hectares and hectares of that, and they run the center in two different ways, with the philosophy from the monk, uh, you know, life is not permanent, and um, then hence if it's not permanent, how do you live your life? Um, not owning things to yourself, but to giving it back. Um, um, and then it's almost like the philosophy and the teaching is very close to Finland, where if you wanted to know about maths, say if you're seventh grade, you go out and you measure the field of the rice. A seventh grader knows every plant, what they are, their family, if they were for medicine, if they are for um, cosmetic, can they kill you? Is it a good, like they literally know every living being around them and they all are very, very uh, down to what people they know how to grow a rice to cook a rice and not to leave a single grain left behind when they they eat and um being very down to what where, whereby i mean they have maybe few clothes of them and there's also another project called zero but so but all the house and everything they have was um, no money they built from one like clay house and then they keep so it was run by Buddhist students, and so when we were there, it was paradise. The training center looks perfect, but then we had to go there to find out what problem they have, which we couldn't figure it out. We can't find what they have, um, and um, but then after we do more survey and research, we learned that uh, they do have a uh, plastic issues. So because so many people visited every day like hundreds of them who brought foods into plastics and in the morning when the student went around with the monk in the village uh, all everyone will be giving them with the food that is already cooked in a plastic in a container that is an easy and much more efficient way so when they come back to the the landing center to eat they would have plastics and junk that are like five to six full of bin and they don't know what to do because some of them could be recycled some are not and and they were quite struggling and then when we do a longer project we realize that actually at the end of the day it's your mindset what happened how do you deal with it when plastics were not invented um how do the monk eat why the monk have one bowl when they cannot why they cut the why why they eat in the same bowl? you know, regardless of what kind of food it goes in. And then we were able to have uh, students who pledge and who volunteer to be um, minimalistic and uh, like, like we all did, um, to, to be, to never use plastic or like never use would be a very strong word, but to use as in, in only when it's so necessary. And then um, to not waste food, to not waste. Um, and then also me, uh, because I already had the big project in Bangladesh with the garment industry, I also pledged that time to never buy new clothes anymore, only when I really needed. And even when I needed, I would first go to charity shop to buy um, clothes for like conference, so to speak. And then essentially what it does is that as a human being, when you are into the world, um, what you bring in, responsible productions and consumption are you responsible when when you are consuming are you responsible in your production what type of waste you are producing what are you consuming is it necessarily so it's really kind of narrowed down in a way and it was um we were not when we go back to Bangkok we were not um, uh, given or we were not among the top three but what was so important was that we were so determined to change the community to a plastic free community and I think we were the only group who were able to transform it so we have students who volunteer who already had that as a burning because they already care much more than we do because as I said almost everything else was paradise was perfect in every many ways Um, and uh we left uh, but we keep communicating with them and then our solution was again very simple because we keep spending a lot of time research and surveying interviewing one after from the leader of the center to everyone in the the one and what we found was the was the mindset if we were able to change your mindset that um that plastic um is way too convenient you know if it is way too cheap if we were to eliminate that and if we were able to find ways to not to deal with plastics in many forms so for example we instead of getting um a thing because the monk has a great influence to the community so when we were able to convince the monk to ask the community when they uh, they receive blessings not to give food in plastic so then the student had to volunteer to carry a tiffin box a steel one so then they carry that because every morning they go with the monk anyway so they they would carry two of them would carry to both sides and then because the monk requests the community not to use plastic, the community obey or accept the request and hence they would just pour whatever they cook straight to the tiffin box, which is made of steel. Then the students take it home, they eat it, they washed and then the first big problem finished and then the, the centre put it in their website. So when, even when we go there, because we need to be respectful and mindful of the culture, they say don't wear tank top. Wear proper dress. Similar to that, they say, do not bring plastic. Do not bring that. And in three months' time, thanks to the volunteer and thanks to the passionate uh, people who pledged to do that, the Seoul Center become a plastic free. And um, so when we go back, uh, we we try to do the same as much as where we go. And for me, I find it very challenging for us into the airplane because I travel a lot and everything comes in plastics. And um, But um, yeah, so for me, when I was able to do that, changed not because of the the price or becoming known in apye but being able to actually bring a real change to the community that we went there to me was a life-changing experience it was so impactful and it was a very eye-opening uh, for me to be able to find smaller solutions that actually fit to the prop the bigger problem and then once we're able to tackle one it actually um, you know, like uh, it has triple F- uh, effect on it. So, yeah, that was my experience with my first FPYE. I don't know if everyone had the same impactful experience as I am, but I really wish that um, people do that and take take FPYE not only as to study what uh, the seventeen goals are, but to actually bring change into the community that they care about, either elsewhere or for their own.
1: Oh, it's great uh, that you actually brought change to the community. And because, you know, I thought you would answer, yeah, it was life-changing because I was, you know, surrounded by youth from everywhere in Asia-Pacific because it was very energetic because, uh, I don't know, like all all these things. But it's... Because for me, you know, I I, I love APYE. I just, I don't know what impact people can have if they stay, you know, one week in a community. So for me, the impact of APYE it's more transformational for the youth rather than for the community. So for me, it really makes me feel... Yeah, good. I mean, positively surprised that you... I mean, it's, it, for in your experience, it's not only about you, but more about the community. And I think if that's the case, then APYI reach its, its goal, I guess. And But especially since you you also work with this community that's your daily fight so I guess that was very important for you and it also I mean you said early in the episode that you uh, somehow and you 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 were inspired by the minimalistic thing of the community you became even more minimalistic after I feel like it also brought you transformational change but it's maybe something different than other people who 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 why yeah who I think APY is kind of experience which is different for everyone. Also, what you expect, what you take out of, of it. Um, no, yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing. And um, I, I, I wanted to come back on the red library because it's a big part of your life. <laughs> uh, yeah, you mentioned so you had this first library in your hometown. And yeah, how do you build a library? I mean, <laughs> it sounds so easy, you know. But if you ask me <laughs> to build a library, I have I don't know.
0: Um, yeah. So after that api mm, as you mentioned, for me it was very transformational. It was a life changing experience for me. And when you were able to change the community or do a greater thing for someone it come back in a much bigger fold for you so when we're actually doing good things for others we think when we bring happiness but this actually is a very selfish act you are happy when you see someone else happy so this is a very charitable thing to like um and um, i think a lot of philosophers ask the most selfish thing that a person can do to themselves is to make someone else happy because when you see smile, it's resonate and it's contagious and it's actually coming back to you in a much bigger fold. So for me, after that experience, um, being able to feel that I can actually change community, I can actually do something that was already a big, uh, massive boost for my confidence and also of my way of finding solutions. Uh, slowly transforming, getting more into, from you know, being a protester into a solutionist. And then... Um, so that that was in january and straight away in march i i went to again i get another scholarship to do to to do a project um on development Studies Project um, International Development Forum uh, in Tokyo University correlating with JICA and we went there for a month and at that time the topic was three different topic one was garment industry in Bangladesh so I've been in, uh, in Kenya and a flower industry in Colombia or something I don't remember we were assigned uh, uh, garment industry and I went there to, uh, to give presentations and a paper and as well as to, to lead the team of about seven people from different countries and um, again at that time um, we did the project we study a lot about unique law of how they do their garments and how how um, uh, how responsible they are to the whole um, the supply chain and also asking a lot of uh, survey to community and to people of tokyo youth university do they pay attention to what brand they are wearing what goes behind getting this or versus buying a cheap band versus a massive you know all of these things and the local how things were done and um, uh, when our project become um, the number one um, I really really it strike me so um, I have a teammate very wonderful people one of them was from Poland and she's since, since the best friends um, to this day and um, she said Elinari you keep talking about how we want to bring change to your community, how you talk about how we, you, how much you need library and things and I think you actually can do it, I'm sure you can do something and at that time was a pilot project going on under we do, we do. so they were giving out uh, 10 grand US dollar for all the rising stars, we are all women to do a project a building project in 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 their own community. It was just a pilot project because there was a donor who wow. wants to invest on that and but it was all a group project it, you can't do it by yourself but i was the only rising star from my states and on the entire North state. so i don't have a, a, a group mate but at that time this founder the ceo of we do maria was in tokyo um they lived in tokyo at that time and we were me- catching up and we were meeting and i explained to him you know how passionate i am now that i have to big uh, experiences and then the solutions at the first one walked and then the second one I was um, we, I were able to lead the team that become the final uh, team and I think that I might be able to just do this for my community not necessarily only for the sake of competition but to bring something in real They said, okay go ahead and apply. I went back in, uh, in April, my mom had had surgery, and then we went in the hospital, but in three days' time, I was able to write 20 pages of proposal because I was so into it. I explained the whole thing, the criteria that is needed, why I needed it, why it's important, that why library was important. So uh, other project were about, you know, a community centre for women or this and that. For me, it was library, it was that clear, so I explained why it was so clear. Um, in the, the earlier episode. And um, I submitted it. And I was so believed in the project that I gave. I already started looking for organizations who can donate books and, uh, and laptops. And then and my best friend... Uh, who at the time in the U.S. Uh, also has her, so we, uh, we grew up together, she's from Tibet, uh, she's, she studied at the time in the U.S. to do her master's and she also had um, organizations, um, she was helping women, um, Tibetan women, traditional uh, women uh, to be able to help them equip with better tools, so like Providing laptops, and she introduced me to an organization called Labdo. So Labdo is an organization; they operate in one hundred. We operate in one hundred twenty-six countries, where we did is um, it's a zero emission, um, zero funding. Uh, whoever wants to be in Labdo only are there only for social. And what they do is that innovating the reuse of laptops. So we don't buy a new laptop. We took old laptop who still have a good run of age. We sanitize it and we install educational software. So one laptop has about thousands of books from all offline Wikipedia, Aga Khan Academy and uh, like the best one hundred history. Everything is in there. So one laptop is like thousands worth of books equivalent to that. So I reach out to that lab do asking for laptops and when they sort this before the final, I say, you need to give me this funding because I already have books yeah. and laptop is on the way. So I can't beg. You know back out now and um yeah so there was two very int- interesting projects so i think they had to find another more funding so they ended up giving two two awards so we each got seven thousand grand i think at the time and um yeah so uh, that was around may towards the end of may and then my aunt uh, was diagnosed with cancer and i had to take her to mumbai and then t- I think 2017 was a very busy year for me. 2016, 15, at the end, I lost my dad. 2016, I was I just stay home morning and just, you know, having a very difficult period. 2017 was like, I was able to kind of, okay. Get back from where I was, and then wanted to redefine, wanted to find a better way, wanted to find um depth of questions. And I think I got my energy back when I was able to to let my dad pass um, because I couldn't believe why he left. But then when a the one-year university university happened, I, we had to uh, do to song to play in local channel, and I, I because before I don't even want to look at the photos of my dad or I don't want to do anything with it. And then I was able to relieve and being able to slowly say good to admit that he's gone but actually he's not gone you know i'm 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 not i'm not losing him but i still have him because his philosophy his teaching his love and everything he gave me was enough for a life a lifetime so i started to celebrate instead of in grief and then i think that really gave me lots of strength and with my faith i also I i was able to like finally admit that my father my my God in life is taken away from me so that I can actually fully rely on to the everlasting God in heaven so the, the father in heaven um, instead of that it's difficult it's hard to admit that way so that somebody took your that you have so that you can truly rely on the everlasting the true the true father who will look after you and that there was no middleman between. It was difficult, but slowly I have to admit that way and that, um, you know, my father is still in heaven and that I can truly rely on the miracle of my faith and my, st- on, on my, my, my faith. So, um, and then um my i was in the hospital with my aunt for like three months i was also applying from uh, sussex i was applying to few different scholarship and to different universities um and also like because i wanted to do development studies i applied for Oxford and so many places and i actually got quite a few offers um and um, at the same time i got uh, awarded to do the library and all of them were happening so then um, i came back in september and august and then we built the first library from the grant that we have and then we have the books and everything sorted and then i came to do my masters um and i got uh funding full funding for the um for for um, business studies so even though it was a general mba for me was okay now i got my funding i built one library what else because I don't have any more funding available for the next one. But then as I do research, there are much more. And then I was like, okay, my next, next goal is that to envision a place and to envision the schools whereby I am able to provide library to all schools in my state. And there are a lot of schools in my <laughs> state. And there are lots of requests that needed to build the library. And then I, I know with my development studies that there's so much wealth and there's so much resource in the world. It's just very skewed. And then how do I find to be able to channel those resources? And because I don't have any finance background, then I think, okay, MBA actually might help me to find a way to channel those resources. So that's how the the library and, and my, my master kind of continue
1: together. It's uh, very interesting because you said... So you, so you said three things throughout the one hour and a half we've been discussing. The first thing is... I know I think it, it's... I you always manage to turn negative emotions into a strength. Like you were telling me in your hometown, you see trees are burning, so many things you don't understand. You turn it into curiosity, drive to learn and find alternatives. Uh, All your anger, the, the fact that you protest, you turn it into becoming a solutionist. And now you just said, I mean, the grief, the loss of your father you turned it into um, what's the word you use I forgot Uh, you turned into uh, oh I had it (laughs) you said one word I I had it Uh, you turned your grief into strength yeah something into something positive into oh celebration you you celebrate uh, the learnings of your father because he brought you so much already for a whole lifetime, um, so I think yeah, that's uh, your secret <laughs> strength to, to be able to turn anger gri- like ve- it can be very difficult emotions, you know. But somehow you manage to 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 use it, use all this energy to make something positive out of it. And um, no, that's great. That's, that's so cool. I wanted to come back and you said, you told me two times today, one in the interview, one before, that you are a below average, quote, quote, person. Why do you say that?
0: Well, I think it's where you where you see yourself. And I think, um, so my now husband actually put it, um, a picture of um, the court says, you are not average on my door, <laughs> in my office. And when you read it, it, whether you see above average or below average, it's a mirror of what you feel inside. And I think when you learn something or when you do studies, the more you learn about it or the more higher you study, you realize that how little you know. So to some, I might be quite amazing people or quite above everybody To be able to do things but then the more i am into that ladder and the more i realize how individual how um, ordinary people are able to do extraordinary things i see myself not as great nor average because i actually did so little compared to a lot of the people but then it really depends on the angle that you are measuring and i think i tend to be quite harsh on myself so even as I was telling this this morning to my um, other house um, housemate, that um, I always from a very young age, as you say, like there's this road when you have hardship and you difficult uh, experience difficulties, you can go into a very bad way or like a very dark way. Versus, you can turn that into something rev- um, uh, revolutionary. And uh, for me, um, because even though I go through hard things, I always say that uh, touch wood, there could be another more st- stronger that coming. and um, There could be something more worse that I could be into. So it's never the challenge that I have, um, because I look around and I see someone going through harder than me who was still able to turn things around. The same things apply to achievement and doing great things in life, because I might have done few things here and there, but... I look at other great exemplary of people that i listen to or that i read their what they do and i realize that at the age or at where they are they have done so much more than i do so that's made me quite humble and not thinking myself above average at all
1: no but i think it's uh yeah it's great to be to have these people you look up to because it become I guess your engine to always do more and it's funny I think I I I mean I wouldn't have said it in this way but I I was thinking about it this morning in the shower (laughs) uh, that I I know I, I, I meet so many you know very active young people I mean not necessarily young people but people who are doing great stuff and I always not compare but always look at them and are like wow, oh, they do so many things which encourages me no it can either discourage you because <laughs> you're like i will never reach this but it can encourage you as well to be like okay these guys are doing so much I have to at least do as much as them um, so no I, I think it makes me happy to hear it from, from you also um, if you could go back in time and uh, meet the Alinari just before you move to Bangladesh, you're 18. Would you would you tell her anything?
0: Um, it's also contrary to that perspective or that way of thinking. If I were to meet the younger Alinari, I would have said, well done, great job. Because um, as much as in life, because there's no never-ending things to learn or to achieve, because you are destined if you believe it to do for a greater purpose if you believe it and if you believe in that the university and everything else will give you the power to be able to do that you can become powerhouse if you believe in it but at the same time i never spend a day or regret comparing myself to someone else i never do that i never compare myself in the way to for example oh i'm more prettier than her or I'm more doing better than her in at work or into other uh, other social entrepreneur or to like another supermodel or to another mother, I don't compare myself. I compare myself within myself. So I look back last year, and which also kind of making a funny thing, um, because I'm so busy to travel and do things. I never had time to have a boyfriend or to settle down until I met my husband now. And uh, like he kept talking about getting married and things. I said I'm too busy for that. And there's a kind of like he's, uh, he's in his 40s. I'm in my uh, towards my 30s. Um, but I have a 50 years old thinking of way. Um, we kind of fit very well. But to to sit down and have a baby and have a family, I don't have space for it but when i look back last year and all of the travels and the thing that i do and this covid happened and not being able to travel even though everything kind of converted to online and i looked at myself so i look at my last year and i'm going to look at my year this year and i feel that um it's going to be not a waste but it's going to be a very stagnant year and thinking that from the early like March and April I couldn't take it I couldn't comprehend it so I need to find this COVID period that stagnant period into something productive and something that is profound and it's a big Big life changing risk that I'm taking again. Then I finally say to what he wants, and we're getting married and then wanting to have a baby, and then all of these things. So I'm actually very, very busy. Like, I'm, it's a never busy of trying to arrange marriage and wedding in the COVID and trying to do it in India, considering it, like rearranging the venue like five times. He never married. I've never married. It's our first time. It's, it was a very, very so. This year, when I look back, it's actually going to be a very busy year for me and doing a lot of other things um, at work and then, you know, online platform and things, but not actually be able to travel much. Uh, so this is how I think and this is how I see. And, and like, even in the, the whole one week, like I don't ever put a day for me to break. So Saturday would be to clean the house, everything and then do it. My routine and Sunday is for my faith and my spirit. Spend a good time of that. And then the rest continue. And if I were to have um, a day that without any purpose or without anything, I can't, I can't comprehend. So I'm that kind of person. So in, in a way it's, uh, it's, it's, it's people would seem that I'm very hard to myself. Um, uh, which is true but that is actually my inner strength I think and to be able to turn even the COVID into uh, (laughs) a thing that is like my life-changing event period yeah
1: yeah I thought that you have life-changing events every year (laughs)
0: it's (laughs) it's great I don't know what I'm gonna be doing in (sighs) five to ten years now (laughs) if it goes on this rate
1: (laughs) what you said makes me think of a sentence i heard which i always try to keep in mind one super amazing guy who said the brightest people don't compete with other people they compete with themselves i love this sentence you know i I think it's what you just said so you're like the perfect example um cool we are approaching the end and I need to go work with my mom also, <laughs> so I will ask you the one last question: um, How? So, because we spoke a lot about the past, so now where you spoke, you said five years. Let's see even even further. Um, how do you want people to to know you for, and how do you want people to remember you for?
0: I want people to remember me. Um, as a social entrepreneur, um, um, as uh, as my kind of uh, professional or to know me as such and um, to, to to love life, um, to love um, bringing happiness and opportunities for others. And, um, yeah, I think uh, when right now it's almost become my... Uh, my my image of the thing that I do to my charity Rotun So, which all go back to what my dad have said, the legacy, what we leave behind. Um, we would just be a shooting star. Some people see it and they wish something for it and it happens to them. And uh, if we look our life of what we are given, um, if you're very lucky, you can be at to a 100, being consistent, being okay. Um, but if you look back, there were a billion of years and ahead of us might be many, many years. Will we come to this life even a slight less of a... Uh, um, you know, a shooting star, would that be somebody through us wish something and find their wish from us? and um, I would love to be that shooting star for someone out there and um, continue to do so in any way I can to, and and, and, um, and bring change to people's life.
1: Yeah, I feel you are doing a great job already to be shooting stars for people.
0: <laughs> long way to go.
1: Cool. Um, Yeah, no, where, where, but just for the final, real final questions, where can people reach out to you if they want to contact you? How can people support your work if they want to support?
0: Um, Yeah, so we are quite open for um, collaboration um, in a bigger term and also for uh, students, even though I'm quite um, uh, kind of confined myself with youth from. Uh, I also um, is available for from student elsewhere or youth as well who just wanted to kind of collaborate or catch up or um, just even to throw throw something at me Um, so we have a website called www.roton.org and our info at Rotun or at Rotun.org. Um, we have a Facebook page um, at Rotun paid forward and um, yeah, so people can just text me on my number um, which is plus plus four four zero seven eight zero two seven one four eight one nine. and yeah, so I think I use um, social media and those things mainly for those purposes. A little bit of my, my personal but I, I like to keep my private life quite private but sometimes you kind of have to put some out there
1: cool you're the first one who who ever shared her phone number
0: (laughs) (laughs) i know my phone number is very and that is why i have so many things but um it's important and i think people are now kind enough not to do something crazy because um people really because that's again um i rather spend 30 minutes on the call with you and have a meaningful conversation as opposed to um, doing so many kind of, block, because that could be a life-changing experience for someone who really needed it at that time. And I want to be there for that person, regardless of who they are.
1: Yes, I'm sure you will be shooting stuff for many of our listeners. Uh, no, thank you so much, Eleanorie. There were so many questions I still wanted to ask you, but maybe for another another time and uh yeah actually yeah it was much more than 30 minutes one hour and 45 minutes that's, <laughs> that's that 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 really really went quickly um no really thank you so much i had a lot of fun i mean i learned a lot i had a lot of fun and i think it was really a humbling conversation so yeah hope to keep in touch hope to see you in another panel <laughs> yeah thank you so much elinry
0: Thank you, thank you for having me, and wish you all the best for your next podcast and uh, other wonderful individual that you would be encountering. That this worth sharing, and that people get something out
1: of it. Congrats for listening until the end of this episode. You can send Alinaria a message if you got inspired by her story, or if there is any way you can support Pay paid forward of course to best support Lifeline you can share this episode to two of your friends and subscribe to the next episodes on any platform see you next time